Would you open God's precious holy word to the 137th Psalm? The words remember and forget are used frequently in this psalm. It's a rather short psalm written after the children of Israel, or at least Judah, the, the Jews from Judah, had been released or had been taken into bondage and then afterward probably no one knows really who wrote the psalm, but the psalmist would reflect on the experiences that uh, Judah had while in Babylon enslaved there. One has to appreciate the joyful life of Israel and the, the reasonably stable culture of the people of God, they were built around family units. And uh, that made, in their better days, the nation of, of Israel very strong. They became weak when, through the worship of false gods, they abandoned their, their moral excellence and their commitment to family life. And the sin, the sinful worship method and style of Baal worship certainly contributed to the destruction of the society of, of, of the southern kingdom of Judah. So they're now in, uh, they're, they're in uh, enslavement. They're in captivity. And the Lord puts them there so that in a pitiful state, they can only reflect on what caused their condition and make them also reflect on how their only hope is in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So let's, I call it memories. 137th Psalm, let's look at it. The lesson for the Israelites, the lesson for people in general, because there's an old saying that says scar tissue is always the strongest. This thumb right here, and just with a pocket knife, of course it was a, a nice pocket knife. Man, I laid that thing open and I looked down and I had two thumbs instead of one. And um, I'd never had a, I, I had seen my children get a shot when they'd cut themselves, get a shot right in the cut, man. So I walked in, this was at another church, and I walked into my business manager. Of course, blood was freely flowing. I looked like I'd been crucified or something. And I had this piece of thumb hanging over here, and I said, do you, you don't really think that'll need any stitches, do you? <laughs> I was trying to convince everybody that it was going to be okay. 
He said, nah, I believe you ought to go have that tended to. And here's my point. Whenever I'm cutting something with a sharp pocket knife now, I don't cut this way. I cut that way. Because scar tissue is always the strongest. There are going to be things, you know, Israel has not suffered from worshiping false gods since their captivity in Babylon. God places them in a place where they can maintain their culture and their their ethnic identity, but can also reflect on their once greatness and on what sin had done to them. The northern kingdom of Assyria, they were all cruel. Babylon was cruel. The northern kingdom, however, when they defeated the northern, the, the, the kingdom of Assyria, when they defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, the ten, the ten tribes to the north, ten Israelite tribes, they forcefully separated people from families and forced intermarriage between captive nations so that Israelites from the northern kingdom were, were forced to intermarry with, other, with people of other nations, the policy of the Assyrians was that captured and defeated nations should be caused to lose their identity. And the belief was that over time, they would just amalgamate into the Assyrian culture and they wouldn't be so... Uh, zealous and nationalistic. So, so they're, they're referred to these days as the 10 lost tribes of Israel because of the policy of Assyria. Babylon, however, who defeated Assyria had a totally different policy. It was their belief that they could get more work and more productivity out of defeated nations who were brought in as slaves if they gave them a large parcel of land to themselves and let them continue in their language and in their culture, they would be happier that way and be less likely to rebel. Now, toward that end, they had, they had, uh, they had intermediaries, like, for example, Daniel and the three friends that he had there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. And they were very young, intelligent men, maybe high school age, and they were brought into the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And there they were taught the language and they were taught the culture and other things about Babylon. Then they would go and they would, they would be... Uh, Inter intermediaries the, uh, between the captive nation and uh, the Babylonians, and that was their policy. Now, from heaven's perspective, this was important because the king, the tribe of Judah, carried the promise of the Christ. Uh, 
the Christ, according to previous prophecies, must come from the seed of David, who was of the tribe of Judah. So these things were maintained by the intervention of God via Babylon, and they maintained their their distinctiveness among nations uh, as the Christ of God would come, plus God's promise to preserve them. So anyway, they had been brought here to ponder the preaching of the prophets who had warned them most specifically Jeremiah. So the first thing about memories is this. Memories can be painful. And experiencing the consequences of sin can bring us into situations of pain such that we pray to emerge from this so that this pain won't be so severe and we won't have to suffer it so much anymore. So let's look then at the first uh, four verses. By the rivers of Babylon. Now there were the Tigris and the Euphrates, but there were also very large canals that had been dug and they were called rivers as well. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel, one of them was called the river Kebar. And it was by that canal, the river Kebar, that Ezekiel, the young man who, was, who had been studying the priesthood, was pondering the things of God. For example, how, how could these pagans march right into the temple of Yahweh and go right in past the holy place into the holy of holies and come out laughing and come out blaspheming God and bringing out the holy vessels of the temple. How, how can God allow this? And, and, and all of the things he had in his mind. And of course, the book of Ezekiel just answers, God answers those things for him and he proclaims the answers to a confused people of Judah in captivity. So he was by the river Kibar. Now here's the point. The point is they were by the rivers, not just the Tigris and the Euphrates, but there would have been other canals and it would have been an appropriate place to sit and ponder and think. And it was there they sat and it says, there we sat, we also wept when we remembered Zion. The culture of the Israelites for much of their history was built around the, uh, the economy, if you will, of, uh, of the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law had more than just the Ten Commandments. It also had those, those feast days and, and uh, a way that they were supposed to live and how they were to maintain certain rituals so that they could maintain an intimate relationship with Yahweh. And early on it was with the tabernacle, later with the temple, uh, as, as Yahweh had expressed that his presence was in the temple. And those feast days especially were happy times. 
David had appointed an order of musicians and there were there were there was an order of musicians the sons of Korah that they provided the music the the celebrative music or the the pondering the meditative music and you'll see it in the psalms of David and and Korah you will see how there's a, a a superscription if you will at the beginning of a psalm and in the Hebrew language, it tells you what kind of beat it's supposed to have and what kind of uh, instruments are supposed to be used. So some of the psalms were happy and, and joyful, and some of them were very sad and doleful. Uh, and, and this is how they carried out their worship. So one has to realize that there was a great deal of music, uh, especially after the time of King David. There was a great deal of music associated with Israel's worship. Apparently, the Jews had become known for their skill in playing especially uh, stringed instruments. And their ability to, to produce very, very happy and entertaining music was well known uh, among the nations. The next verse says, on willows in its midst, we hung our harps. They didn't have any heart to sing. I understand the feeling when things happen and you just don't feel like singing. You don't have a heart for it. You don't have a, a spirit for it. Now notice the sarcasm of the Babylonian soldiers who guarded them. For there our captors asked us for words of song, and our tormentors asked of us mirth or, or joyful time that included dancing and all. Sing for us the song of Zion. Now those songs of Zion, the song of Zion would have talked about how invulnerable Zion was and how well protected they were from their enemies and all this kind of thing. So... It's not the case here. And the God, of, the God of Judah, the God of the Jews, would have been laughed at by the Babylonians. Not only could they, did they want to be entertained, but they wanted to laugh at the Jews for how they had been brought into humiliation and defeat. The Jews refused to sing for the Babylonian soldiers. How shall we sing the song of Yahweh on foreign soil? We're supposed to sing in Zion. We're supposed to sing these things in the presence of our joyful feasts and festivals around the temple, the presence of Yahweh. How can we do this here? All oh, the humiliation of it. Sometimes memories can be painful. And we can think of diminished circumstances into which we had been brought because of our own sin. How many times would they reflect on the words of the prophet and how they had listened to the false prophets and how they never believed that Yahweh would actually 
repel them from the land because of their sin. They always believed that God owed them something. So they're in a time of memory, first of all, to remember that their pain has been brought upon them because they've been displaced, as God had said, and they're on foreign soil. They've been defeated. They can't sing of Zion because at that moment in time, Zion was occupied by somebody else. Memories can be painful. And in that pain, we must not be delusional about why the pain comes. When we reflect upon the pain that has been brought by the consequences of our own sin. Not only that though, memories can be constructive. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to my palate. If I do not remember you, if I do not bring up Jerusalem at the beginning of my joy. Jerusalem, the place of God, the place of the son of David, the place of the joyful feasts and festivals and celebrations, the place where they were taught the law of God where they dealt with sin in their temple offerings. The, the wonderful life of living in Jerusalem. So now thinking of Zion, they would have to think of Jerusalem. And thinking of Jerusalem, they would have to think of the house of God and thinking of the house of God, they would have to think of the wonderful singing and the wonderful proclamations from, from the word of God as they worshiped according to the way they were directed in the law of Moses and in the offerings of sacrifices as they knew their sins were forgiven by the fact that the priests would take would approve the sacrifice that had been brought and in approving the sacrifice would place it on the altar and there on the altar according to the law, the word of God, their sins had been burned up, their sins had been forgiven uh, in a symbolic sense and they would know that God was a God of his covenant. Oh, to think of Jerusalem, the place of joy. So when you have the painful memories of humiliation and understanding that you've been displaced from the place of joy. Now your memories go to the place of joy itself. If I forget Jerusalem, I will, I will forget my existence. I won't be any good for anything. If I forget Jerusalem. So, the painful memory can carry us to the constructive memory so that as surely as we think of the painful consequences of sin, we can remember the promises and presence 
of God. Not only are, can memories be painful, and not only can memories be constructive, but memories can also actually increase our faith. Remember, Yahweh, for the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, those who say, raise it, raise it, down to its foundation. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau, served as allies of Babylon in the destruction of Jerusalem and to pay them for their help, Nebuchadnezzar allowed the Edomites to come in and plunder Jerusalem. O daughter of Babylon who is destined to be plundered. Now here comes the faithful part. It sounds kind of bad when you look at it until you think of the whole in the scriptures, the wholeness of what's said. Praiseworthy is he who repays you your, comp your recompense that you've done to us. Praiseworthy is he who will take and dash your infants against the rock. Now, boy, it sounds bad. Well, it is bad. But the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 13, many, many years, uh, let me think, two and a half centuries maybe before this was written. Before Babylon had captured Jerusalem, Isaiah prophesied about Babylon and prophesied what would happen to Babylon? And down around verse 16 in Isaiah 13, he said of Babylon, he said, your infants will be dashed to pieces. Your houses will be burned and your, your women will be ravished. Speaking of the downfall. Now the downfall of the Babylonians came at the hands of the Persians and the Medes. Of course, ultimately by the hand of God, but Judah didn't have an army. They couldn't fight. God, however, raised up the Medes and the Persians to fulfill his prophecy. Here's what they're saying. We know from our scriptures, we know that we're here because of sin. It's a painful memory. But we also know that if we can ever get back to Jerusalem, we won't be like we used to be. And the next thing and the last thing we know here is Babylon, daughter of Babylon, you will be repaid for what you did. See, Babylon did the same thing to Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar's armies invaded. We studied that in Jeremiah, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago. It was the practice of, it was the practice of invading armies to take the small children and the infants of those who were being invaded and smash them against rocks so that their children wouldn't have to fight a war against these children. And they mercilessly, brutally killed the children of Judah, dashed them 
against rocks, burned the city, set fire. You may recall from Jeremiah, set fire to the men of Jerusalem while they were still alive. And then went in and ravished the women and did whatever they wanted to do as they utterly defeated the city, all because of their sin. God, frankly, and the Bible says so, raised Babylon up for the purpose of punishing Judah in her sin. And the consequences of sin are brutal and awful when God permits the world to come against his people that we might be chastised and disciplined. It's an awful thing. An awful thing. But there, by the rivers of Babylon, looking into the faces of the Babylonian soldiers, they could say, no, we can't sing. We know why this has happened to us. We also know that when we ever get back there, we will never be the way that we were before. And we believe the word of God. We're in a mess and we had it coming. But you were brutal and cruel to us. And God will not forget that you, that you went too far. And the prophet has said that you'll be paid back for what you've done for us, even to the point of your children being dashed to pieces against the rocks. The Medes and the Persians came in forcefully, brutally, and cruelly defeated the people of Babylon. But in the midst of the horror of the war, ultimately, the people of God were set free. The prophet, the prophet of God had foreseen it and had foretold it, and the people of God now realize God's word is true. I had to suffer a lot. I had to doubt him and call him a liar in my sin back in Jerusalem. But my sin caught up with me. And I've learned that the word of God is true. But I've also learned that my God will not overlook the sins that have been committed against his people. And his word is always true. Well, we'll stop there. And we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we are awestruck, stricken to our knees, even down to our faces, when we think of your holiness and the consequences of sin. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to live our lives in such a way that will be, we will be very attentive to your word always, every day. Help us to remember how they remembered. And help us, Lord, to be overcomers in our lives every day that we live. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.